Amen. So good morning everyone and thanks for inviting me um, to come and talk about release and persecution. I'm going to do a bit of that, um, but I'm really keen as well to apply it. So you will get some information, but I'm really keen um, that you ask this question almost all the way through. Then what about me? What does this mean for me? How does this change me? How does this enhance my discipleship? Any questions like that that you want to ask yourself, just keep looking for that. Lord, what does this mean for me? Uh, my name is Paul Robinson, and I do have this deeply meaningful privilege of being CEO of Release International. It is only a title. Um, we don't see Release as an organisation. We see it as a ministry to the body of Christ around the world, but also to the body of Christ here in the United Kingdom. And I'm, I'm hoping that you'll realise that what I bring when I talk about persecution and our brothers and sisters who are suffering is that you might get a glimpse of actually that they can bring to us much more than we can ever do for them. I'm going to try and leave a deposit of that for you today. I am Sam's dad. I couldn't be a prouder dad, I tell you. But I do want to thank you all for um, looking after this lad um, and supporting him. He's moved out on his own um, to, to a job, uh, and that can be lonely. And I'm just thankful to some of you who have got, got around him and, and made him feel at home. Please keep doing that. Look out for him. He's a good one, but he needs looking out of him. <laughs> um, Right, so I'm going to give you a little bit about Release International first. So Release International has a vision which says this, a world in which the whole body of Christ understands persecution and responds prayerfully, pastorally, and practically every time a Christian is persecuted. Think about that, every time a Christian is persecuted. It's an impossible vision. We will never achieve it. But why not let's die trying, eh? So that's our vision. And we currently work in 27 nations around the world very practically helping persecuted Christians and their families wherever they find themselves. We do have another part to our ministry. It's not just about serving persecuted Christians. It's about being their voice. It's about raising awareness in churches like this. Because the reality is, actually, the churches of the West know very little about this. It's coming more and more onto the agenda in, in recent years. But churches know very little Individual believers don't understand how they might help or engage with their family around the world. So part of our ministry is to do that. So anyway, we'll look at that in a little bit more detail in a while. But I want you to look at this um, slide now. (laughs) This is holiday last year. This is me, my immediate family, Joe, my wife, Sarah and Sam. And I've introduced this photograph to you. Not only that you can see my precious family because they are dear to me. But I want to use this slide to introduce that word to you, family. Okay, I want to introduce the thought of family to you right now, whatever that means to you. I'm not going to talk about us. Um, I want to talk about our wider family, your family, my brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters around the world, many of whom are suffering, not for committing crimes, but for just saying, I love Jesus. We have amazing freedom, I tell you. The people I meet around the world, if they could walk to church this morning and worship like we just worshipped, I don't know what they'd give for that, but it would be an awful lot. And I think we should appreciate that. I wanted to say, and I forgot, but I wanted, you started with saying give thanks for something. Brother, I want to give you and your team thanks. Um, I get to go to a lot of churches, uh, and often the worship ain't that good. (laughs) Sometimes it's presentation, it's look at us. But what these guys do, and I've been here about three or four times now, is they just go, look at Jesus. And I love it. I used to be a musician. You have some talented musicians, real quality. But they're not going, hey, look how good I am. They're saying, 
Look at Jesus. And I want to thank you guys for doing that. Never, never change. It's always Jesus. But thank you for this, the worship this morning. Um, when um, missionaries visit churches, they often start by saying, I bring you greetings from various places, right? <laughs> and I want to keep with that. I want to bring you greetings from your family in Pakistan, in Nigeria, in North Korea, in Sri Lanka, in Egypt, in Sudan, in Eritrea, in China, in Saudi Arabia, in Iraq. In fact, greetings to you from your family from more than 50 countries around the world where our family is facing difficulty just because they love Jesus. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us this, that we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. And if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, then all are glad. Now you might not feel that, but I want to tell you, if your finger suffers, your head knows about it. And I want to say that whether we feel it or not, or know about it or not, our brothers and sisters suffer. And whether we feel it or not, the body suffers. We are one body. We're one family. They really are our brothers and sisters. They're living, breathing members of our family. And if one part suffers, we all suffer whether we feel it or not. Now you can't see this map too well in detail. Um, but what you can see is that the world is predominantly coloured by countries in which our brothers and sisters are suffering persecution in one form or another. As we'll see in a minute, this is a global phenomenon. It's not a minor event. It's a major event. And actually you and I are the odd ones out. Because the world is full, full of Christians who are suffering intimidation, harassment, discrimination, persecution, and sometimes, quite often, murder, just for naming Jesus as Lord. And every one of them is our family member. You know, there's not a persecuted church over there and a not persecuted church here. The word of God is clear. There is one body of Christ in which many are being persecuted and some of us are not. But we're all part of each other. We joined as family with one dad, one father. Okay? And I'm going to try and introduce some of those family members to you later. Because this message can be really heavy. You can think, oh no. But it's full of hope. It is really so full of hope. And I'm going to try and bring some of that to you a little bit later on. So please forgive me if you know a lot of what I'm going to say already, but I want to give a background of persecution, a very brief background, because there'll be some here that'll be going, I've never heard about this. There'll be some of you that'll be going, I know quite a lot. So if you do know quite a lot, please forgive me. Um, I just want to take a little bit of time to help those that don't. So what is Christian persecution? You know, all of us, if we are truly witnesses for Jesus... If we're truly seeking to live lives fully for Jesus, if we're really doing that, all of us, if we do that, will face some kind of persecution along the way. You see, it goes with the territory. People in persecuted countries, when you say, what, well, how do you face persecution? They will say, but isn't it part of the gospel? And when you read the New Testament, you'll see that it is. You're going through the book of Acts at the minute, and I want to ask you a question. It's a trick question, so I'm going to set you up for a fall, okay? How many of you in this room want New Testament Christianity in Northampton? Oh, come on. Are you scared of what's coming next? How many of you want New Testament Christianity? Listen, I do. But do you know there's a cost to New Testament Christianity? And so often in our culture, 
I'm not being critical of anything, but so often in our cultures, our churches are retreating into comfort rather than standing up for Christ and, and for people who don't know Jesus. When I was born again 31 years ago, it was a pretty radical time and people were living for Jesus in such a way they felt this, I've got to tell my neighbours, I've got to somehow reach out, I've got to do something because their eternity is a lost eternity. I'm saved. This is good news. I want to know that, I want them to know about Jesus. But so often today I feel that we're drifting into a comfort zone, which doesn't represent New Testament Christianity. As you're going through the book of Acts, right from chapter 8, it says great persecution broke out against the church. As you go through the book of Acts, I want you to understand that it's all written in the context of persecution. People paid a price. And with their lives. And today around the world, people are paying the price. Jesus said this, right, in John fifteen twenty. He said, remember what I've told you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they don't know the one who sent me. These people are being treated awfully by people, not because they've committed a crime, but because they're fulfilling this scripture, because of his name. And I want to say, if we do stand for Christ, we will suffer for his name. And rather than retreating from it, we should rejoice in it, because we're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. We love that scripture that says we want the power of his resurrection, but right next to it is about the sharing of his sufferings. And if we want New Testament Christianity and the power of the gospel, we also need to be ready to share in the sufferings of Christ. So if one of your young people chooses to speak out for Jesus in school, what's going to happen to them? They might endure endure some hardships and ridicule. We know what can come their way. If you stand up for Jesus at work or in a family where there are no other Christians, you might endure some difficulty as well. In this society which largely rejects righteousness, if you stand up for righteousness sake because of his name, you will endure some difficulty. So all of us, if we really want to live for Jesus, will face some kind of persecution. But what I've just described to you, what we might face, is nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters face today. Okay, this is a good definition that's coming up behind me now, I hope. Yeah. So what is persecution? It's a good definition. Situations in which Christians are repetitively, persistently, and systematically inflicted with grave or serious suffering or harm, and deprived of or significantly threatened with deprival of their basic human rights because of the difference that comes from being a Christian that the persecutor will just not tolerate. It's a great definition of the kind of persecution I want to talk about. And this kind of persecution is largely unknown. It's certainly unreported in our media, although in recent days it's becoming more so. I want you to look at this next slide and what the Spectator magazine said about this. This is an article called The War on Christians, which I personally think is too strong. It's inflammatory, but it's there. It's strapline I do agree with. It says the global persecution of churchgoers is the unreported catastrophe of our time. And I want to be clear that this article was not written in a cosy Christian magazine. This article was in a secular magazine, which I rejoice about because it very rarely hits secular media. It was written by a professional journalist called John Allen. 
And I also want to quote from part of that article. In effect, the world is witnessing the rise of an entire new generation of Christian martyrs. The carnage is occurring on such a vast scale that it represents not only the most dramatic Christian story of our time, but arguably the premier human rights challenge of this era as well. If you go online and type in John Allen, The War on Christians, you'll get that article. I recommend it. Read it in full. He uses some statistics, some of which we don't agree with, but it's a good article. It will raise your awareness of what's going on around the world in a secular publication. So it's worth looking for. Because I want to say this, the scale of persecution is enormous. All right, Fairly robust statistics show that 75 to 80% of all people that are persecuted for their religious beliefs are Christians. So where persecution occurs around the world towards people of faith, and it occurs towards people of all faiths, 75 to 80% of all religious persecution is towards our brothers and sisters. That means that between 100 and 200 million, some people say over 200 million, but anyway, it's it's a lot. (laughs) Okay, it's hard to quantify. 200 million Christians in at least 50 countries around the world suffer just because of their faith. It's a huge number. Just look around you. Look, Look to your left. That's one brother or sister. Look to your right. That's another brother or sister. Look to this room. I don't know. 80? 90? What would you do if all your brothers and sisters in this room were being persecuted or in prison for their faith? And yet around the world, our brothers and sisters in millions are being persecuted for their faith. And when you look at this, I'd really appreciate you not just seeing numbers. The problem with statistics is the numbers can dehumanize the suffering. You just see a big number rather than individuals. And I was reminded of this again recently when a colleague of mine returned from northern Nigeria. He'd spent time with many people and he described listening to their suffering and hearing reports of incidents which we at release are all too familiar with. But as he spoke to me, his voice began to tremble and tears came to his eyes. And he said this, Paul, they're no longer statistics to me. They're individual people. So when you look at those numbers, just remember everyone is a human being, a brother and a sister. So I want to introduce you to some of those individuals now. This is our brother Joshua. He's 15. I met him in Sri Lanka just before Christmas, not the last Christmas, but the one before last. Um, Southern Sri Lanka is growing to be quite a difficult place for Christians. Not many people know this. But in Southern Sri Lanka, Buddhist militants will often raid and terrorise Christians wherever they live. And it's often being led by militant Buddhist monks in Southern Sri Lanka. And it's a growing problem. Joshua and his family had to move six times in one year because of that kind of opposition. And when I met them just before Christmas last, they were being threatened again. Move out of this village or we'll kill you. We don't want Christian celebrations at Christmas. Okay? So that's the kind of opposition this 15-year-old is suffering. Now, we support his education. And when I was talking to him, I said, what do you want to be when you finish your education? And I thought, you know, engineer mathematician and you know what he said sweet as a nut this guy he just looked at me and he said i want to serve my dad's vision and his dad's vision is to reach out to buddhists in buddhist communities he's had a vision from god of a a paddy field and he saw himself in the paddy field with no help from anybody and yet he was pushing a harvest onto the side of the paddy field and his dad says live or die 
That's what God has called me to do. And this young man who has already seen quite incredible suffering by our standards, given the choice of being an engineer or being a mathematician or serving his dad's vision, just said, I want to serve my dad's vision and see the kingdom of God come into my village. Isn't that amazing? And there's the hope. There's the encouragement. We think it's bad news, but in some wonderful ways, it's really good news as well. So this is Helen Bahani. What an amazing person she is. She's written a book. It's called Song of the Nightingale. It's really thin, good to read. It will challenge your socks off. It did mine. Get it. You can get it from our website or you can ring the office. It's cheap. It's really worth reading. Um, it's not a sales pitch. It will just really encourage you. Now, Helen was a worship leader in an African country called Eritrea. It's a really terrible place for Christians. And she was in prison for her faith. She was brutalized. She was tortured. But she never gave up on her faith in Christ. I'm just going to read you a short excerpt from the last pages of her book. I never dreamed I would leave my country. But most Eritrean Christians are forced to leave because of our faith. We have no freedom to read the Bible we love or to worship our God. A lot of intellectuals and educated people have also had to leave. All of us are forced to shake the dust of our land from our feet. And we've found that it's true that prophets are not respected in their own country. All we got in Eritrea was degradation and humiliation. We were tortured. We offered our backs to their sticks and batons. And we were separated from those we loved. Many pastors spend their lives in prison. Their children are orphaned and never know their parents. A bride is separated from her groom. And families and friends are dispersed all over the world. I want to encourage every Christian to pray for these things to come to an end. My wish is simple. To live like other people, peacefully in my own country. I pray daily that Eritrea will one day be a place where the gospel can be preached freely and that my country will be a blessing to all nations. So I want to give a message to those of you who are Christians who live in the free world. You must not take your freedom for granted. Use every opportunity to praise the Lord every day. If I could sing in prison... Imagine what you can do for God's glory with your freedom. I also have a message for my persecutors. I want to tell them that I love them. And that I hope one day they'll believe in the Jesus I serve. So the persecution is bad news. But look at that amazing good news. And it challenges me to the core in terms of my discipleship. So just take that. This is, this is our brother Stephen. It's incredible testimony. So we blanked him out. It's not even his real name for security reasons. But Stephen was a young man that came to faith from a Muslim background in Egypt. Standard practice is that you flee because they're going to get you. But he wanted to stay. He wanted to do something for Jesus in his own community. But his uncle found out. So his uncle took him to a barn-like building, stripped him naked, right? Bound him up with ropes, roped him up beneath his armpits and strung him up into the roof of this building. For 68 days. Now this is not a mature Christian who's got 30 years of Bible knowledge. This is a babe in Christ. Just converted from Islam. And he hangs there for 68 days. Now the uncle lowers him sometimes. To beat him. Sometimes to feed him. Every time he's lowered. He's lowered into his own mess. Because when he goes to the toilet. He can only go to the toilet there. So for 68 days. Up, down, up, down. And towards the end of this. The uncle lowers him. And on this occasion, for some reason, goes away to do something. Now, Stephen's still bound. 
But just before the uncle had lowered him, he prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus, I just want to be clean. And while he was on the floor, a cow came in and licked him clean from head to foot. And the uncle came back and was furious. Who has done this? And Stephen said, I prayed to my saviour, Jesus Christ, that he'd clean me. And he sent one of your cows and look how clean I am. And the uncle gave up and said, I know I can't break your faith and released him. Since then, Stephen has led 38 Muslims to Christ in that Muslim community. And there are now two small churches in the Muslim community. So a great price and a great cost, but a great outcome. This next person is Habila from Nigeria. I'm going to let Habila speak for himself, so just a short video now. Again, an amazing testimony. Um, Wonderful. Now, the thing that amazes me, though, is that they count the cost. So they're still there. It could happen tonight. But they say, we want to be here because we're the kingdom. We want to represent the kingdom in this place. We want to reach out around us. And they've counted a cost. And they know that that cost could be the same thing tonight. That pastor has counted a cost. He hasn't fled. He said, I know what could happen to me. He's spent time counting this cost, thinking, what could happen? And he's decided it's worth it. So that if it comes my way, I pray that I'll be ready to pay that price. He's counted the cost. And the great news for me is the testimony is amazing. But more amazing is that he's still there. Still there, still wanting to witness, still wanting to reach out. I said to um, Habila, what do you think about the guys that shot you? He said, I love them, Paul. I've already forgiven them. If I could see them, I'd want them to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he said this, which broke me. He said, I'm just trying to get my six-year-old boy to forgive him as well. That six-year-old boy that sat next to his dad all night thinking he was dead in a pool of blood. But what amazing courage, what amazing you know, faith. I'm willing to pay the price for the sake of the kingdom. It just blows me away. This verse is a foundational verse for us in Release International. I'm really privileged to hear stories like the ones that you've just seen from many, many people who face persecution for the sake of Jesus. These are people who stand for him in the middle of circumstances and situations that most of us can barely even begin to imagine. And these are just some of the family members, a small handful of brothers and sisters who are representative of those millions. And we're instructed in scripture. I don't believe we can take or leave scripture. If, if scripture's there, it says something we have to respond Personally, in my life, you know, this is not an optional extra like a sunroof on a car, right? I have to do this. And it says this, continue to remember those in prison as if we were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, that is a scripture that can keep you going for the next two years. I mean, really, if you think about that, remembering in that way, it's a daily challenge. And for me, it didn't take it or leave it, I have to do this. The next slide you'll see a man called Pastor Richard Vernbrandt. We're all of a certain generation, actually. I'm quite old in this church, I think. <laughs> How many remember Richard Vernbrandt? There's a few that might. Yeah, yeah. Okay, an incredible guy. He wrote a book, this book, Tortured for Christ. I've brought a slack handful there at the back. There's about 10, 12 copies. If you're quick, you can get one for free, okay? I recommend you read it. You know what? If you're a young believer... However old you are, if you're a young believer, I recommend you read this book. I read it when I was 20 years of age. Really challenged me to live for Jesus. So there's some free books at the back there. Richard inspired our work right back in 1969 
In the then communist Romania, he was sent to prison for his Christian beliefs and spent 14 years in communist prison. He bought, he had 18 marks, visible marks of torture in his body. And when he was released, he came to the churches of the West, the free churches, and basically came with a single message. He said, don't forget them, remember them. In this famous book, Tortured for Christ, he wrote this. Our brothers and sisters there alone are waging the most courageous battle of faith equal to the heroism, courage and dedication of the early church. That early church that you're reading about in Acts. Don't abandon them. Remember them. That was 1969 and I believe those words just resonate today. It's still relevant that we don't abandon them, that we remember them. So what is our response in considering what we're talking about this morning? Persecution is such a huge global issue that we might be able to say, we just can't do anything about it. Well, the first thing that we say you can do, and actually probably one of the hardest things you can do is this, is to pray. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I think prayer is one of the hardest things we can do because if any, if you're any like me, the discipline of praying regularly is tough. But if we keep the image of our brothers and sisters in mind, it can force us to our knees to call on God for our family, wherever they are, whether it's this country or any country. So we should pray. I put a magazine on your chairs. We produce a magazine every two months and it keeps you informed. In the middle of that magazine, there's a prayer shield and it just has a short paragraph, day by day, information for you just to pray. So even if you only pray for five minutes using that prayer shield, the earnest prayer achieves great results. So I want to encourage you, if for no other reason, get the mag for the prayer shield, okay? We have a website, and if you're one of those that prefers the web, the web for finding out information, go to our website, interrogate it. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that will help you remember and pray and do other things for your family around the world. Sam and Charlie are going to be at the back at the end of the meeting. If you want to get the magazine every two months, free of charge, no obligation, just to read, to be informed, to please pray And just sign up for that magazine. It will come. We're not one of those organisations that wants to market you to death. We're actually opposed to that. But we do want you to have information from the ground so that you can at least pray. So feel free at the end of the meeting to sign up for the magazine. So there's a final thought I want to leave with you. And it's this bit of application. The question I started right at the beginning. What about me? Okay, and I'm not pointing the finger at you because three are pointing back at me. Right? What about me? But I want you to ask that question. How is it possible that people like Helen Wilson, Stephen, Joshua and Habila, the ones that I've introduced you today, but many others around the world are able to stand for Jesus in such remarkable ways, sometimes even to the point of death, while others of us are sometimes even afraid to be identified in our Western comfortable culture as Christians? How is it? Well, I listen to the testimonies of these brothers and sisters and I listen to other Christians in various hostile countries around the world. And it leaves me wondering. I don't mean wondering as in question. I wonder. I wonder at their courage because they're nothing different to you or me. So how is it that they can find this courage? I wonder at their courage. I wonder at their grace. The word of God says his grace is sufficient. But sometimes in my own life, when trials come, I find that I'm depending on my own strength and asking all kinds of questions. And God has to take me to the brink of my own ability to understand that his grace is sufficient. So I wonder at their grace. 
I wonder at their willingness to forgive persecutors. And that's, I think, the biggest for me. Has anybody ever hurt you? Are you still holding a grudge? <laughs> Did your wife upset you this morning? Will that affect you for the next four days? You know? Somebody at work said something. You know, there's a person at work that keeps giving you a hard time. Right? And in your heart, you just think, oh, if I, I could get them. I just really would. I'd like to do them. I'd like to figure out how I can get my own back. All right? So we all know what that feels like to be, have something opposed to us. But these people can forgive. So it amazes me. How can they possibly forgive? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, there are two really short parables that I think helps me to understand this. And they go like this. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid the treasure again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the whole field just so that he could own that treasure. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one pearl of great value, he went away and he sold everything he'd got and he bought that one pearl of great price. Brothers and sisters, like you've just heard about today, I think are living examples of that kind of Christian living. They found the treasure in the field. They found the pearl of great price. And they know that nothing this life can give can even get close to its value. They value it so much that they're even willing to lay down their lives. Either figuratively, we are all called, the Bible says, to die daily. Okay, to put ourselves down. But they're even willing to go to physical death if necessary. Because they've counted the cost set against this pearl of great price, this treasure of great value, which is Jesus Christ. And there's the challenge that I want to leave. Do we, do I, not do you, but do we truly know the value of the treasure we've got in Jesus? See, it's not that these people are hero, heroes. They would not consider them to, them, them to be heroes. They wouldn't even think they're brave. <laughs> Many simply say, we're doing nothing more than what Jesus has called us to. It is remarkable. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 to 30 says this. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's the words of Jesus. Just think about that one. That stuns me. You know, baby Jesus, meek and mild, turns around and says something like this. <laughs> if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone will laugh at you. They'd say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't even afford to finish it. So as I finish, having been challenged, especially by the testimonies of these brothers and sisters, maybe it's appropriate to take a bit of time in our hearts to commit ourselves again, not only to standing with our persecuted brothers and doing, brothers and sisters and doing all we can to help them, but standing with them in their example of faith and saying, I'm gonna live for Jesus more fully than I have. Whatever that is, one step towards living more fully for Jesus than we have been doing. Maybe today is an opportunity again to stop and think, do I really count the cost for living for Jesus? Not for the sake of my own comfort, 
but for the sake of the kingdom of God and for all those people who don't know Jesus. Vahik, a friend of mine who spent time in Evin prison in Iran and was tortured for his faith, said these beautiful words whilst he was being tortured. Lord Jesus, I give you my life, whatever the price, whatever the cost. That's not flim flam, that's in the face of it. I'm going to die now, Lord Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever the price. And Helen said, if I can worship God in prison, imagine what you can do with your freedom. Now we're not going to face that price today. None of us are going to be arrested when we leave this place. None of us are going to be killed walking down the street because we named Jesus. But the interesting thing is the word witness and the word martyr has the same Greek root. Right? So the word witness and martyr has the same Greek root. So if we're going to witness, we're going to die daily. Okay? It's as simple as that. And I want to give you a couple of tools, a bit of homework, if you like. Spend a bit of time for your benefit, not for my benefit or their benefit, but for your benefit and for the benefit of the one body of Christ. Spend a bit of time just asking questions like this. In my work, in my home, in my education, or in my social life and other, other environments that I find myself in, what opportunities will I have this week to pay a price for Jesus? What might be the cost to me this week for following Jesus? Then write it down, pray about it, and prepare your heart and your will to be ready to pay any one of those prices when they come your way. Because that's what it means to count the cost of being a disciple of Christ. It might look like this. What will I do when someone asks me to tell them about Jesus? Will I know what to say? Will I make time to talk with them meaningfully or will I be too embarrassed or too busy? There's a cost that you need to think about so that when the opportunity comes, you can go, I've been there, I've already thought about this, I'm ready. If something happens in school or work which compromises your faith or integrity in Jesus, what will you do? Will you stand peacefully and meaningfully for righteousness sake and say, I'm not crossing that line. Because it compromises my integrity and faith in Christ. Or will you compromise and go along for an easy life? Count the cost so that when the price is asked, you'd be ready to pay. What will I do if I'm in the company of people who are telling rude or sick jokes? Will I go along with it so as not to be embarrassed or identified as a disciple of Jesus? Or will I use it as an opportunity to gently make known that I belong to Jesus and that I don't want to be part of this? And then use it to share the gospel. Count the cost so that you're ready to pay the price. And the final example that you can use is this. What about in church company? If people are gossiping or backbiting about a brother or a sister, what are you going to do? Are you going to go along for the sake of ease and comfort? Or are you lovingly going to speak the truth in love and say, hey, you know what? We shouldn't be doing this. This is what we should be doing. Let's pray together. So this whole thing about brothers and sisters who are suffering, it's an incredible, horrible thing. But their example should leave a deposit with us. And that's what I want to do today, this deposit. Please, if you do nothing else, go away, spend some time on your own or with others thinking, what is this going to cost me? Am I ready? Because I do believe that the only way this nation, your town, your street, your workplace, your school is going to be impacted by the kingdom of God 
is to have among them disciples of Jesus who are ready to pay the price. Amen. Can I close in prayer? Heavenly Father, strong messages, Lord, but actually it's nothing that isn't written in the New Testament. And I just ask, Lord, in your grace and in your mercy that you, by your spirit now, will just settle on our hearts. Thank you for the testimony of our dear brothers and sisters who are suffering now. Thank you for their message into our lives that we've heard about today. Help us, Holy Spirit, just to live for you a little bit more this week than last. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.